Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. about cancer, an internet show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by AZI and Morphotech, we'll be talking about screening for Lynch syndrome. To give our listeners a little bit of background, Lynch syndrome is a genetic condition that leads to an increased risk of certain types of cancers, uh, namely colorectal cancer, several types of endometrial cancers, cancers of the uterus, uh, among others. Uh, Every day, about 400 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with colorectal cancer, and approximately 12 of those people have Lynch syndrome. Uh, Today, we'll be talking more about this genetic condition, how identifying it early on uh, can aid in preventing cancer and improving uh, survival. We have three wonderful guests to help us break this down a little bit. First, we have Stephanie Cohen and Don McElvery, both are board-certified and licensed genetic counselors who lead the cancer genetics team at St. Vincent Hospital in Indianapolis. Stephanie and Don also hold positions of leadership within the genetic community as well as serving as faculty at Indiana University School of Medicine. Thanks for being here, Stephanie and Dawn. Absolutely. We are also pleased to be joined by our dear friend Kate Murphy, Director of Research Communication at Fight Colorectal Cancer. Kate also has Lynch syndrome and is a survivor of six Lynch-related cancers. Fight Colorectal Cancer is a leading colorectal cancer advocacy organization located in Washington, D.C., and a longstanding partner of the cancer support community. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Kim. I'm glad to be here with you this afternoon, basically talking about Lynch syndrome Excellent, excellent. So we've got a lot to cover with our guests on the show today. I'm going to start with you, Dawn. Um, Dawn, you and Stephanie are both genetic counselors, so, so let's start right there. What exactly is genetic counseling, and how can it help someone with a genetic condition like Lynch syndrome? Sure. Um, so genetic counselors are healthcare professionals who have specialized graduate degrees. They are boarded by the American Board of Genetic Counseling and are also licensed in some states, including Indiana. Um, we have experience in the areas of medical genetics and also dealing with psychosocial aspects surrounding a medical diagnosis that could be part of something that's hereditary. Uh, genetic counseling is a process, and it involves um, providing information and support to families who have members with a genetic condition and um, to families who might be at risk for a variety of inherited conditions. We work in several different areas, actually. There's prenatal genetic counseling, pediatric, adult onset. Um, some work in laboratories. Some work mm-hmm. in public policy. Um, we are, Stephanie and I are genetic counselors who specialize in cancer, so that's our okay. main area of practice. And when we meet with families who might be at risk for hereditary cancer, we evaluate the medical and family history in order to um, provide risk assessment for cancer, discuss the different aspects of genetic testing that might be indicated, and order the appropriate test, make sure the patient understands the risks, benefits, and limitations of genetic testing, and what it might tell them, what it might tell them, um, how it might change their medical management. If you know what somebody is at risk for, you can help guide their medical management in order to reduce their risk of developing certain cancers through increased surveillance or even prevention. So, Dawn, so that's a great summary to help us start to understand what genetic counseling is. I'm sure what's going through our listeners' minds is, hmm, I wonder who would qualify for this. I wonder who should get uh, genetic counseling, who should get genetic testing. My Aunt Bessie, I think my dad said she died of uh, breast cancer, so should I be getting genetic testing, genetic counseling? Is there, are there some criteria for, for folks to think about this? 
Definitely. Um, I'll first put it in perspective that most cancers are not inherited, meaning that there's an abnormal change in a gene that's putting them at high risk for certain cancers, and then they can pass that on. Um, but about, if you take cancer in general, maybe about 5 to 10 percent um, is being inherited. There are certain red flags that we look for for hereditary cancer. For example, having cancer run through multiple generations in a family is what most people think of right away. Or seeing cancer at a younger age than what you would typically expect, maybe having somebody who has had more than one primary cancer, not necessarily that it's spread to different organs, but having two different cancers um, or, you know, several different cancers. Seeing certain patterns of specific cancer types occurring among blood relatives. So you mentioned breast cancer. Sometimes we'll see breast and ovarian cancers together when they're inherited. Or with Lynch syndrome, we'll see colon, uterine, ovarian. So looking for those patterns. And sometimes ethnicity can play a role. For example, we know in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, there's a higher risk to carry a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation, which is with breast and ovarian cancer. Um, also, anybody who's just concerned, they're worried because they have a family history, they're worried about their risk to develop cancer, or if a mutation has been identified in their family. Those are all good reasons to consider it. So do you, so let me ask you this, do folks get the test first and then the counseling or do they get the counseling first? <laughs> well, if all goes right, they should have the counseling before the test just so that okay. they understand what those results are going to mean. Um, but it, it happens, you know, as long as at some point they have that understanding, um, some offices will order it and then if it's not the result they expected or if they're concerned about something else, then they'll refer at that point. But in most cases, it's, it's best to have that um, discussion prior to testing. Okay. Okay. Stephanie, um, could, so, so, so we want to talk today about Lynch syndrome. Could you tell us a little more um, about this syndrome and some of the cancer risks associated with it? What do we know about it? Well, as Dawn mentioned, about 5 to 10 percent of all cancers are hereditary, but if you look just at colon cancers, about 3 percent of those are due to Lynch syndrome. And a similar number um, are due to, of endometrial cancers are due to Lynch syndrome. So those are the two most common cancers that we see in Lynch syndrome, which is caused by a change in one of five different genes that are involved in kind of repair of our, our, our genes, so repair of our, our cells. So if, if there's a mistake or a, a change in one of these repair genes, then what happens is we head down that pathway toward cancer. We can't uh, fix our mistakes that are accumulating as we live our life. So there's up to a, a 70% lifetime risk for colon cancer for people who have one of these gene mutations, and anywhere from a 20 to 60% lifetime risk for endometrial cancer. We also will see a higher incidence of ovarian cancer, and then some other cancers a little bit more rarely, but higher than the general population, such as brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, biliary tract cancers. There's a lot of different cancers that can be associated with Lynch syndrome, but it's variable among families, so not every family will have all of these cancers present, um, and even within a family, we'll see uh, different ages of onset and different types of cancers that can present. So, so let me ask you this. It, could you have a hereditary risk of colorectal cancer that's not Lynch syndrome? Yes. There are some other hereditary causes for colon cancer. Okay. Um, yes. So I think, that, I think that's good. I think that that's um, important to know. And Stephanie, is there a difference between a genetic risk for cancer and a hereditary risk for cancer? Can you break those terms down for us? No, we're sort of using them interchangeably here. Okay. Um, hereditary means that you're, um, you have a genetic change that you have usually inherited from one parent or the other that then you can also pass on to the next generation. But I think that's a good thing to bring up because we do accumulate genetic mutations throughout our lifetime that are not inherited. So actually the cause of cancer is an accumulation of genetic changes that lead to cells behaving badly. Um, the difference is in an inherited form of cancer, you're born with one copy of one gene that's not working, and that is a predisposition. If other mutations are accumulated throughout your lifetime, then you are going to develop cancer down the, lifetime, down the, down the line. Not everyone who inherits a predisposition gene for Lynch syndrome or any other hereditary cancer syndrome will necessarily get cancer. They have a higher risk. Okay, okay. So Stephanie, tell me, and um, we've, we're, we're 
We've got about two or three minutes till our first uh, break here. But um, uh, who exactly should be concerned about Lynch syndrome? Um, how do people even know if they should be concerned about it? Are there any red flags to look for here? Yes, um, early age of onset for colon or endometrial cancer, particularly under the age of 50, is one red flag. Multiple individuals uh, with similar types of cancers, like endometrial and colon cancer, if you have two or three relatives with these kinds of cancers, um, and especially over multiple generations. So we can see that it's actually passing through the family. Okay. Okay, so 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 just tell us a little bit more about that, Stephanie. We've got uh, uh, you know another minute or two here. Can you give us some examples of you know what what would be uh, a red flag to look up for? Some samples of some patterns. Sure. Um, so having a parent and a child and a sibling. So your mom, your brother, and yourself having um, all having colon cancer, or perhaps um, an uncle with colon cancer, an aunt with endometrial cancer, and a sister with um, colon cancer. Those would be um, cancers that we tend to see together in a family with Lynch syndrome, multiple generations, um, particularly someone very early onset. So someone, let's say, in their 30s who was diagnosed with colon cancer. That's pretty unusual, but it is something that we do see more often in Lynch syndrome. So if someone is diagnosed early, would their doctor automatically test for Lynch syndrome? We hope so, but not necessarily. I think that's something that um, our listeners, hopefully, after hearing this today, can go back to their doctors and ask um, if they've had any testing for Lynch syndrome. Um, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment about tumor testing. But um, not necessarily. I think that this is um, Lynch syndrome has been recognized well for the past 10 years. But prior to that, I don't think that um, there was a lot of recognition of the syndrome and, and how the genetic basis of it was. So this is newer information. Well, when was it discovered, Stephanie? Um, the syndrome was described first in the 60s um, okay. by Henry Lynch. Okay. But the genetic basis of Lynch syndrome was not recognized until the 1990s. Okay, okay. This is frankly speaking about cancer today. We're talking about uh, Lynch syndrome. Um, we, um, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we get back, um, we're going to hear from uh, Kate Murphy, who has Lynch syndrome and, and uh, uh, has had multiple bouts with cancer um, uh, as a result of that. We're going to hear from Kate, hear a little bit about her personal story um, in dealing with Lynch syndrome, how it was identified uh, and diagnosed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the genetics of this disease so that we can understand it um, a little bit better. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. 
For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Speaking about cancer, brought to you in part by Millennium and Amgen Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today I'm joined by Stephanie Cohen and Don McIlreed, two genetic counselors at St. Vincent Hospital in Indianapolis, as well as Kate Murphy, the director of research uh, communication at Fight Colorectal Cancer. We just talked a little bit about what uh, Lynch syndrome is, but I, I want to hear from uh, uh, Kate Murphy about your own story. Kate, uh, tell us a little bit about when you were diagnosed with cancer and when you found out that you. Um, had Lynch syndrome? Well, I was actually diagnosed with cancer um, uh, more, almost 20 years, or more than 20 years ago, I guess, if I'm looking at these numbers. I was diagnosed in 1983 with my first colon cancer, and that was... Uh, that was not unusual for me. It was almost that I was expecting it. My um, my grandmother died of uh, colon cancer um, or stomach cancer or some kind of cancer in her abdomen, and the family didn't talk much about it. But it was it was pretty clear that she had died of that disease. And my mother also had. Uh, had colon cancer. She was, mother was about 35, and grandmother was, uh, she died when she was about 40, but she was probably diagnosed earlier. Wow. And so, and I was diagnosed uh, when I was 39. So that that number, uh, that kind of uh, red flag that uh, that we were talking about before went up. That there were a lot of us in in the family who were diagnosed uh, at an early age. Um, I about nine years later, I was diagnosed with a second colon cancer. And the question always is, um, when a young person diagnosed with cancer, and particularly colon cancer, is this a brand new cancer? Is it something that came from uh, someplace else, or is it um, is it um, something that is related to a kind of a recurrence of the older cancer? Mm-hmm. And it was quite clear with with the family history that this was a brand new colon cancer. Mm-hmm. This did not re- uh, uh, come back from the older cancer. So I was diagnosed with colon cancer about nine years later, and then almost immediately, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And we haven't noticed uh, we haven't called breast cancer um, uh, a Lynch related cancer yeah. for very long, but very recently we've we've recognized that the people who have colon cancer very often have breast cancer as well mm-hmm. so, so okay was, let me ask you, know, you when you were diagnosed in 83 uh, at the age yep. of 39 with colon cancer were you tested then for lynch syndrome nobody was really lynch syndrome was not strongly on anybody's radar then except for dr lynch and Dr. Lynch had uh, recognized that uh, this was an inherited cancer, but it was not uh, on any, no one would have tested for it. There wasn't really a way to test for it uh, at that time um, or something to do if you were tested for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, and that, so, when, was, so when were you eventually tested for it? I was actually tested for it in uh, about uh, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Excuse me? And so 10 years ago, so around 1993, Yeah, you were yeah. tested for it, and that was because you had another cancer or a recurrence? Or? No, it was because I, thought I, I knew something was wrong. I, by that time, I was really working very, heavily, very strongly with, the, uh, with fight colorectal cancer. 
and I was uh, doing a lot of uh, research uh, for them and talking about what was going on and thinking about what was going on. And I knew this was the name of what we knew was going on in our family. It was Lynch syndrome or also um, called at the time and maybe the – the, uh, the genetic counselors can talk a little bit more about this, but it was also called hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer, or HNPCC. So that term was used at the time. But I just I knew that was what was wrong. So mm-hmm. I got on the internet and I found a, a counselor at uh, at Roswell Park, and I made an uh, made an appointment and went for genetic counseling and testing got it got it so dawn let's let's talk about what that you know what the process is can you walk us dawn through the process of diagnosing uh, Lynch syndrome w- w- you know what screenings and tests are out there how is it identified sure so um, I think part of what makes Lynch syndrome such an interesting condition for us is kind of its complexity, um, and that's especially true when it comes to genetic testing. Whenever possible, you know, you hear about most genetic testing being a blood draw that you send to a lab, um, and that is true for most genetic tests. Whenever possible with Lynch syndrome, we try to approach testing in a stepwise manner, and that makes it more streamlined and um, more informative and less expensive. Um, you probably you know, Stephanie had mentioned before the break that there are multiple genes that can cause Lynch syndrome when they're not working properly. Um, I'll take just a quick step back so that it makes a little bit more sense. Um, So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of background about genetics. A gene is basically a piece of DNA that codes for one instruction out in your body. So whether or not that's helping determine your skin color or breaking down sugar or helping your cells divide correctly. The genes that are associated with Lynch syndrome help with fixing damage or misspellings to the DNA code that would otherwise build up over time and eventually lead to cancer. Um, So under normal circumstances, your body will take that gene and read through its code in order to create what we call a protein. Um, And the protein will do the function or the job out in your body. So you can think about it like if the gene is a recipe, then you would read and interpret um, that recipe to bake something. And the protein would be like the cake or the outcome of that recipe. Mm -hmm. If there was an abnormal change in that cake recipe, such as, for example, it says 22 eggs instead of two eggs. Well, that probably would not turn out to be a good cake. So if there's an abnormal change in that gene sequence or code, which we call a mutation, then that protein does not get made correctly and can't do its job correctly. So when we test for Lynch syndrome, we try to start with something simple. Instead of going through all those different genes, which is very involved and expensive, we try to start by doing a simple stain on the tumor tissue of an infected individual who's had cancer to stain those proteins. If one or more of the proteins is missing, that tells us not only that we might be concerned for Lynch syndrome, but also which recipe or gene to go after first. So there's more than one type of screening test that can be done on tumor tissue, but a lot of programs, including ours here at St. Vincent, use this type of staining. It's sometimes referred to as IHC as an abbreviation. Um, It's also important to note that pathology labs will often hold on to your tumor tissue for several years, often around 10 years or more, so that the slides can be pulled for somebody who had colon or uterine cancer several years ago and that stain can be done. Um, So that's basically a lot of testing. There's also a molecular test um, or a genetic test, which is actually can be done on a blood draw to look at the genes directly. So, so to that point, Dawn, can someone who has not been diagnosed with cancer but has all of this family history be tested for Lynch syndrome? Absolutely, and that would be um, doing a a blood draw or sometimes there's a saliva sample that you could do, um, and you send it to a laboratory that knows how to look at those genes, and they will actually go into the DNA sequence for those five genes and look at it closely letter by letter. It's a little bit more involved, and, um, you know, a lot of times we have families that look like Lynch syndrome, and we don't find a gene mutation. It's more difficult to interpret a result that way because we don't have 
an answer as to why a mutation wasn't found. It could be that um, a family member who's had cancer carried it but didn't pass it on. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in that way it makes it a little bit more tricky, but it certainly can be done that way. So, Kate, and, Kate you and, and about that your... was, Oops. Kate. I was going to say, uh, maybe with the question you were going to ask me, is that was, that was how my testing was done. Um, at that time, um, tumor test testing wasn't uh, really done often outside of very large uh, research centers. So my testing went back to the whole gene, and, w and we looked to see um, if there were any errors, as, as Dawn talked about, in the, in the entire gene. But now, there, if I were diagnosed today, um, they would probably be able then to test the tumor, and it would be a much simpler process, and the, uh, the answer would be uh, clearer earlier. So, Kate, Kate, has anyone, aside, so you talked about your grandmother and your mother, have, have others in your family been diagnosed with cancer and or Lynch syndrome? Yes. Uh, there have been a number of uh, family members who have been diagnosed with cancer, and actually, early on in early on in this process, um, a number of deaths in the family. So we knew that we had gotten actually gotten far beyond the three people in the family. There were there my my uncle, my aunt, several cousins, and then actually after I was diagnosed, and we knew exactly the one gene that. that that was um, the one gene that was um, was faulty. Um, we were able to test other members in my family. We tested all my sisters, and we tested my my children, and we were able to test them just for that one gene. We didn't have to go hunting around for mm -hmm. other genes, and we mm -hmm. tested them just for that one gene. Okay. So. Um, we were able to do that. Right. Um, at the, at the, at, and at this point. Uh, of those uh, members who had a positive result are also having their children and other members of their family tested as, as well. well. So as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think that's uh, just helpful to hear, you know, from, from, from your family's perspective. Um, Stephanie, we've got, a, we've got a minute or two until the break here, but can you just talk about how, how common Lynch syndrome screening on tumor tissue is becoming? What, what's the uptake in hospitals? Are we training doctors to, you know, look for this family history and, and test appropriately? Well, we don't know how commonly it's being done in hospitals around the country. It's been very difficult to kind of discern that. We did a, a brief little survey of the National Society of Genetic Counselors cancer genetic membership and found that about half of the genetic counselors who responded were aware of a tumor testing program in their hospital. So it seems like it is happening around the country. Um, we asked when they started, and it's definitely been increasing more in the, the recent years. Um, so I do think that it's happening more often around the country. Um, for sure, in larger centers, we're seeing it being done more frequently. One of the things that we're finding is that not everyone is doing their tumor testing the same way. There are multiple mm -hmm. different approaches to doing the tumor testing. Mm -hmm. some, some institutions like ours do tumor testing on every single colon cancer that's diagnosed. Mm -hmm. um, some only do it under a certain age. What we've found recently is that with genetic testing, we used to think that almost all Lynch-associated colon cancers were diagnosed in their 30s, like Kate. But what we found is that the average age of onset for colon cancer in people with Lynch syndrome is close to 60, which mm -hmm. is closer to what we see in the general population. Okay. So we okay. probably are missing a lot of folks with Lynch syndrome yeah. um, just looking at their family history or their age of onset. Okay. All right. So there's a variety of factors that we need to be uh, be looking for here, and it's not simply that early onset piece, but that could certainly be an indicator. Um, this right. is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about Lynch syndrome uh, today. What is it? How is it uh, uh, identified? And, and, and how are we doing the screening? And, and how does it impact uh, the treatment plan? We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand 
choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and I'm joined today by Stephanie Cohen and Don McGilvery, two genetic counselors from St. Vincent's Hospital in Indianapolis, as well as Kate Murphy, the Director of Research Communication at Fight Colorectal Cancer. Today we are talking about Lynch Syndrome. We're going to uh, keep going on this conversation. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, conversation. We're learning a great deal about what this syndrome is and how it's identified. Um, Stephanie, I, you know, we, we sometimes hear about some controversy surrounding genetic testing um, in, in general. So what are the ethical issues that come into play when ordering a genetic test uh, for Lynch syndrome? Again, let's go back to this question. Do you have the test first? Do you have the counseling first? If, if, I, uh, you know, if I'm somebody who thinks I might have this, um, should I know if I do have this, should I know what I'm going to do before I even have the test? Um, can you help us with that kind of consent process and educational process? Sure. I think that there's the, these issues are very similar for many different kinds of genetic testing, but I think it's really important to talk to someone who knows um, what this genetic test might reveal, um, what the limitations of the test are. Not every negative test result really means that there's not a genetic uh, problem there. It just means we may not be able to find it. So I think it's important to talk to someone before doing testing um, to make sure you understand fully what the test can and can't tell. Um, There are a lot of other ethical issues involved with genetic testing. Um, For example, um, when a genetic mutation is found, what is your obligation to let at-risk family members know? Mm -hmm. Um, Some family members may not want to know this information, and they have a right to not find out the information. Uh, But at the same time, it really can make some um, big difference in how their medical management um, goes, what kind of surveillance they should be undergoing. So I think there's um, a balance there that you have to have between the benefits of this knowledge versus some of the downsides to the knowledge. Some people worry about genetic discrimination. Um, Fortunately, we now have a wonderful law on the books. It's a federal law called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, or GINA for short, and it does prevent um, health insurance companies, um, employers, from using any genetic information about you to deny you coverage or uh, fire you from your job. 
So that has made a really big difference. I've seen an, a bigger uptake in genetic testing since the passage of GINA. People feel a little bit more comfortable that they're not going to lose their jobs or they're not going to lose their health insurance based on a genetic test result. Was there any reference to genetic testing in the recent Affordable Care Act that was just uh, upheld by the Supreme Court? Well, there certainly is a, a statement in there saying you can't be denied coverage based on a pre-existing um, condition. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that would include this genetic um, information as well. So if somebody, Stephanie, as we were talking about earlier, you can get, if you have this family history, you can get tested for Lynch syndrome even if you don't have cancer or any cancer um, sin, uh, symptoms. Is there a benefit um, to, do, to doing that? If, uh, is there a benefit for me knowing that I have Lynch syndrome? And if so, what, what does that look like? I think there is a benefit for people to find out if they have Lynch syndrome. Um, one of the reasons is that we change our surveillance for people who are known to have Lynch syndrome. We know that people with Lynch syndrome have a much higher risk of developing colorectal cancer, for example, and the development of colon cancer seems to happen at an accelerated pace. So what normally takes a polyp about 10 years to develop into colon cancer may only take one or two or three years to develop into colon cancer in people who have Lynch syndrome. So instead of screening or doing a colonoscopy once every 10 years, as we recommend in the general population, people with Lynch syndrome should probably have a colonoscopy every one to two years. Mm -hmm. So that really can make a difference. And they've done studies looking at people with Lynch syndrome who follow this very strict surveillance guidelines, and there is a great improvement in their, um, you know, incidence of cancers as well as so many fewer people will actually die of their cancer because if it is found, it's found at a much earlier stage. Is there anything, is there any, um, any difference in the biology of colon cancer for someone with Lynch syndrome as opposed to someone with colon cancer without Lynch syndrome? Any difference in biology or, or, or treatment protocol or anything like that? I don't think we fully understand um, what differences there are yet. Um, as you've heard, these genes that are associated with Lynch syndrome have only been recognized in the past 10, 12, 15 years. So I think that we're still investigating that and trying to determine are there um, different chemotherapy treatments that people with Lynch syndrome might benefit from that um, are, are different from the general population colon cancers. Right now, we really don't treat colon cancers from people with Lynch syndrome any differently than we do people who um, are in the general population who develop colon cancer. So that but are there, treatments... are there, is there research happening to potentially develop some treatment to, to, to target this or to examine the biology a little bit more? Yes, there are. Um, there are research studies, and we, we do encourage um, people who are diagnosed with Lynch syndrome to participate in registries and, and studies because that's going to further the knowledge down the line of um, either targeted therapies or different surveillance techniques that we can use. Um, there have been multiple studies looking at how can we prevent the formation of polyps that lead to Lynch syndrome. Um, yeah. So they, they're doing... Um, what we call chemo prevention trials, where is there some kind of a medicine you can take that would slow down the development of these polyps um, in, therefore, into colon cancer. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Dawn, let me, um, let me just get into the, um, some cost questions for a minute. So who pays uh, for the screening? Is, this, uh, is it covered by insurance? Is it only covered by insurance if you have cancer versus are determined to be um, at risk for Lynch syndrome? Can you help us understand that uh, a little bit better? Sure, um, and there is a there's somewhat of a difference when you're talking about um, insurance companies covering the cost of the screen testing that's done on the tumor tissue versus a blood draw to actually go through the genes. Um, but in general, insurance companies will cover the cost of genetic testing in general. Um, at our center with the testing on the tumor tissue, we have found that insurance companies will cover that type of screen testing or the staining. Um, it's a pretty simple stain, a routine laboratory test that is done on the tumor tissue, and we haven't found any issues with that. That might vary a little bit among different centers, but we haven't come across any difficulty there. Um, the genetic testing that looks directly at the DNA, 
um, through a blood draw or a saliva sample, um, is often covered um, when it's indicated. These tests are much cheaper than the costs that are involved with a diagnosis of cancer and the treatment that follows. So if insurance companies can identify who is at risk and help try to prevent that from happening or at least trying to identify cancer at an earlier stage when it's more treatable, mm-hmm. that is to their benefit. So they're mm-hmm. often willing to pay for something like that. Right. Um, every right. policy is a little different, but um, so it might take some amount of preauthorization. But in general, so is it fair to is it fair to say? Call your insurance company before you get this test to make sure you're clear on the policy. Well, you you can. Um, it's kind of difficult because it's not a common type of test, and mm. it's difficult to get hold of the right person. We often tell people to call and see whether or not genetic testing is an exclusion in their policy. Okay. okay. Um, that's an easy thing to do. But a lot of um, testing companies will actually check your policy for you before they run the test. So okay. that's something to ask for as well. Okay. And, and, and Kate, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, basically, I would say that uh, the uh, the testing companies are really very helpful in not only helping you find out if your insurance will cover, um, re- but also in uh, having some help with with reimbursement if your insurance doesn't cover it. They they have uh, various kinds of uh, uh, co-pay uh, pro- programs, and they have uh, mm-hmm. uh, ways to ways to have uh, coverage if you if you're really just not covered by your insurance company. Kate, you're did, very your, helpful did your insurance in doing cover? That. Did your insurance uh, company cover your test, Kate? Without any problems at all, um, they just covered it. And, <laughs> and, and, and Kate, are, are, at at uh, at Phycolorectal Cancer, are you guys having a discussion about universal screening for Lynch syndrome for anyone who's been diagnosed with, with colorectal cancer? Do we, we think that, that, that doing that would save lives, would save money? Um, uh, as we get to the break here, Kate, wh- where are we on that discussion? We, we are discussing it, and actually, we have uh, we've covered some of the issues of of the the uh, savings, uh, cost savings, for instance, with Medicare, um, uh, and uh, cost savings with other uh, other programs that um, is much much less expensive to cover the screening and the surveillance that's going to go on because now we're going to be testing people more often for um, for uh, colon cancer and for uh, uterine cancer, but then to pay for what would happen if that cancer comes back and we now have to pay for very expensive chemotherapy. So there's, there is a, there is a, a cost benefit uh, to a pro, to an insurance company and definitely to Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Stephanie for testing. Yes, one Stephanie. Of, one, sure. One of the um, ways they looked at cost effectiveness was they estimate that for every indiv- every individual you identify with Lynch syndrome. So supposedly they've been diagnosed with either colorectal cancer or endometrial cancer. Their tumor has testing. They're identified as having Lynch syndrome. There are approximately six at-risk affected fam- or six at-risk family members who have not yet developed cancer. So your public health impact is is great because for every one person you identify, you can find six other people who haven't yet had cancer, and then you're going to start this surveillance and hopefully um, prevent the cancer or identify it at such an early stage that you don't need the extensive treatment. So are our public health experts, Stephanie, doing some of that financial modeling and looking at those outcomes to help make the case for both screening and coverage of, of, of screening? Yes, there have been two or three yes. of these analyses that have been done and published, and they all show that there is this cost-effective savings. Both, both cost-effectiveness in, in terms of saving, saving dollars, but huge impact on, on saving lives. Mm-hmm, I mean, absolutely. if you, if you yep. identify six people that you now are going to cover, you're now going to cover, yep. watch very carefully to see that they don't develop a cancer late. 
Yeah, uh, you yeah. have made a huge impact. Huge impact. On so I think these are very important points that are being made, um, uh, and then you know make the case for really advancing the screening, and I think doing really the education that we're doing today in terms of having this conversation. Um, uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today uh, about Lynch syndrome, understanding what Lynch syndrome is. Uh, how are folks tested, who is at risk and should be tested, um, hearing from some genetic experts. We're hearing uh, from a, 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 a patient who has uh, uh, Lynch syndrome and is involved in, in research, communication, and advocacy um, uh, in the field of colorectal cancer. Um, we're moving towards the end of the show. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, don't go away. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Speaking about cancer, I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today we're talking about Lynch syndrome. Uh, we're, we're getting towards the end of our show, but we're having a great discussion with two genetic counselors from St. Vincent Hospital in Indianapolis, Stephanie Cohen and Don McElvreed, as well as Kate Murphy from Fight Colorectal Cancer. We've explained what Lynch syndrome is, how it's diagnosed, the impact of screening, um, and and the impact that that can have on on uh, patients' lives, on cost. Um, uh, Kate, I, I just want to hear a little bit more um, about your own story. We we talked a little bit about what brought you to a place where you got screened for Lynch syndrome. You had a pretty intensive family history. Now, um, uh, you know, now a lot of folks in your family uh, uh, have been tested. T- tell us, Kate, what's going on with you now uh, today? Are there further people in your family uh, uh, being tested? How has this impacted you? Well, it isn't. It isn't always easy to get family members uh, tested. You would think that it would be a simple, uh, kind of a simple thing to do. Here's a here's a test that, and and not only here's a test, but here's a fair, fairly simple, inexpensive test. It's not uh, at this point because we know uh, the the gene that. Uh, is causing my Lynch syndrome um, is a fairly simple thing to look for in family members. But family members, for, for all the reasons that we've talked about, are 
may be afraid that insurance is going to be impacted, that their job will be impacted. Sometimes yeah. they just don't want to know. I have one, I have a nephew who's afraid of needles. Um, mm. It just it can be a, a very difficult thing to get a family member to testing, but it's it's really critical and it's important to do. So sometimes you have to become the family nagger. Um, okay. <laughs> for good for good cause, though, Kate. For, for good cause. For, 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 um, for good cause. I explain. Think it, it, you you commented, um, Kate, that that you were able to identify the specific gene that caused your Lynch syndrome. I'm assuming that applies. And 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 for those who are just joining us, I'm assuming that applies. That that there are different genes that um, can be identified that cause Lynch syndrome. Are we able to test uh, for all of those? Do we know how many we're talking about? Um, really, I think we're talking about uh, four different genes that, right now, and uh, the, the counselors maybe could tell you that a little more specifically in terms of how um, how many genes are, are currently available for testing um, by the various methods of, of testing. Yeah, so this is... Who wants to weigh in on that? I, I'd be happy to. This is Dawn. Um, so right now, there classically, the first... At first, there were two genes um, called MLH1 and MSH2, but um, then they found some other genes. Um, there were four, so two more were added. Um, and then most recently, there's a fifth gene um, called EPCAM for which there is testing as well. Um, so those are all genes. They're all different genes located in different places of your body um, in, in the human genome, uh, but their function and what they do is all pretty similar, and that's why. Um, no matter which gene you're talking about, they'll put you at um, at risk for similar types of cancers, mainly colon and uterine. There are some differences, but um, for the most part, they're pretty similar. So, can you have can you have more than one more than one of these genes, Don? It would be very unlikely. Very it's unlikely. Certainly possible. Mm -hmm. It's been reported. Um, definitely, you could have um, more than one gene that has a mutation. Um, but in general, it's usually just one because this condition isn't um, too common. And if you're tested for Lynch syndrome, they test you for all of them. Well, it depends on how whether or not that screen test was done on the tumor tissue because that can help guide you and tell you which gene to go after. Um, if, you know, for example, what that test is doing is staining those proteins, remember. So if a protein is missing, that makes us think that there's something wrong with that gene. Um, okay. If you have an abnormal screen test on your tumor tissue, it does not mean for sure that you have Lynch syndrome. Um, sometimes uh, it'll come back abnormal, but it's not because of Lynch syndrome. So there's other testing to sort that out without getting too complex. Right. Um, but it can help guide you as to which gene you're concerned about, depending on which protein was missing. But you can have testing for all of those. Um, it's just a little bit more pricey and um, a little more right. involved. And, and while we're on this subject, quickly, Dawn, so, you, you, you know, you've been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. You've got some of the family history that we've discussed here today. Obviously, the goal is to be tested for Lynch syndrome. Are there other hereditary or genetic things that you should also be tested for? Um, there are all different types of inherited cancers. Uh, mm -hmm. Some were briefly mentioned at the beginning of, um, of the program today. For example, hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. um, almost any type of cancer could be part of something hereditary. So I think the important thing is looking for those red flags or risk factors that we talked about with family history um, mm -hmm. or with you being a young age with cancer that you wouldn't typically see at a young age. Um, so it, it, that's part of where I think genetic counseling risk assessment comes in. It's sort of figuring out are we really concerned about Lynch syndrome or something else and making sure that the appropriate test is ordered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Kate, before we uh, get to the end of the show, I want, I, I, I'd like to ask if you would please tell our listeners about Fight Colorectal Cancer, obviously an important partner of ours, um, the work that you're doing there, the important work that the organization is doing, and how folks can uh, find out more about the many resources that you uh, offer. Well, the first thing, I, it would be difficult without uh, without sending you to our website, which I'm going to do, uh, to tell you all the things that we're doing right now. I think yeah. that if you go to fightcolorectalcancer.org, uh, all one word, Dot org, um, that you'll find out that we're involved 
sometimes in policy change. We're involved in uh, going to Congress to ask for funding for research. Um, research is, is really critical for, for Lynch syndrome to find out more of what is happening here. Um, we are very involved in telling patients of, about uh, how uh, they may be affected by cancer and uh, the part of the part of the website and part of the work we do has, has a lot to do with um, helping patients understand um, their cancers um, and uh, you can call an answer line and find ask any kind of question that concerns you um, if you think that you might uh, your family history has something to do with Lynch syndrome you can call us and uh, we can help you get in in touch with a with a, a genetic counselor or with someone who might want to uh, help you with with those genetic questions. So that that second thing and the third the kind of third piece of the stool, uh, I think that you know one of those little three legged stools that don't fall over, um, really has to do with research questions. And we have a number of people, including me, at uh, Fight Colorectal Cancer, who look at research, um, who help uh, develop new research ideas. We work with NCI, um, both uh, talking about uh, uh, cancer research that, that would solve important issues and reviewing uh, cancer that's going on. So we're looking at policy questions. How do we make better policy and how can that policy affect not only uh, funding but but cancer policy. We're looking at informing patients, helping them with answers to their questions about cancer, about colorectal cancer in in general. And then then we're looking at research and really sometimes going quite deeply into adding a patient voice to research so that that little stool isn't going to fall over and that mm -hmm. we're going to make a difference uh, in in the future. Um, I think that, that we say that uh, that our, our mission is to wipe out, to destroy, uh, end colon cancer. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of what we're up to at Fight Colorectal Cancer. Terrific. Thanks, Kate, for that uh, that summary, and, and we want to continue to support uh, support your good work. Again, uh, the website is fightcolorectalcancer.org. Um, Stephanie, in a, in, in a quick minute for me, because um, we are getting to the end of the show here, uh, someone uh, has been diagnosed with colorectal cancer or they think they might have uh, Lynch syndrome. A quick word of advice for, for what they should do? Talk to their doctor. Um, bring it up. Make sure they know that there's a family history. I would say that not every physician uh, will ask if there's a family history. Um, but even without a family history, I still think it's worth a conversation finding out if there is tumor testing available at your institution, uh, requesting it if it's not done on an automatic basis. Um, another resource I can point people to is the um, National Society of Genetic Counselors. Um, there's a mm -hmm. listing of, of genetic counselors and how to find them. Um, it's nsgc.org. ORG. So that's and another again, good what resource. Is, Stephanie, what's the certification for a genetic counselor again? Remind us of that. What we should be what should we be asking about that? Um, genetic counselors typically will have a degree in genetic counseling and they're board certified by the American Board of Genetic Counselors. Um, okay. they usually have an initial C G C behind their name to stand for that certified genetic counselor. Um, there are, are not genetic counselors in every single city. So mm -hmm. um, you may um, need to either search further or rely on your physician. Um, just because uh, there's not a genetic counselor there doesn't mean that there aren't people who aren't knowledgeable about genetics um, in mm -hmm. the area. Mm -hmm. One last sure. plug I'd like to make real quick is there's a, a new organization called the Lynch Syndrome Screening Network. And okay. it's, um, institutions from around the country that are implementing universal tumor testing. Um, so we're collecting data and providing resources um, for institutions that are trying to do this. So I think it's going to become more widespread and hopefully we'll, we'll see it happening more often. And is there a registry as well? There, there is. Um, it's all in development at this point, but okay. there will be a registry as well. Great. 
Great. Terrific. Um, I want to thank uh, you guys for being on the show today, Stephanie Cohen, Don McElvreed, uh, and our friend Kate Murphy. Uh, it's been a wonderful show, very educational. I feel like we could <laughs> we could talk for, for two more hours about this topic. Um, I want to dedicate our show today to our friend Kate for being a voice for other cancer patients through her work at Fight Colorectal Cancer. Check out our friends at Fight Colorectal Cancer. Their website is fightcolorectalcancer.org. And, um, if you or someone you know has been diagnosed with cancer, you don't have to face cancer alone. The cancer support community offers free support, education, hope to anyone affected by cancer. To find a complete listing of our 57 affiliates, 100 satellites, resources, programs, our online community, visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Our services are free for uh, people with colorectal cancer or with any cancer uh, and to their family members and loved ones. You can also call us at 888 888- 9393355. So check us out at cancersupportcommunity.org to find support and education uh, in your community or uh, online or through our new uh, helpline. Um, I appreciate everyone listening in today. Thanks for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support